Hey everybody, Dan Burke here. The reason I'm talking to you at the top of the show like this is to let you know that this week's podcast is going to be a little bit different than usual. As you probably noticed, we've been recording the podcast remotely for the last few weeks, and this week I thought rather than limiting ourselves to just three or four people on the podcast, we'd instead use the full potential of the One Football Newsroom. So in this episode, we're going to be talking about the Bundesliga, Serie A, La Liga and the Premier League. And I'm going to be joined by a whole host of experts from the newsroom along the way. You're essentially getting four mini podcasts for the price of one this week. And if it goes well, we might do it again like this in future. We'd love to know what you think. And remember, if you've got any comments, complaints, suggestions or questions, you can email us at podcast at onefootball.com or tweet us at onefootball. All right, without further ado, let's get on with the podcast. Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. Okay, welcome to the first part of the podcast where to talk all things Bundesliga. I'm joined by Helga Voltman. Hi. And One Football Podcast debutante, Antonia Hennigs. <laughs> Hello. So, the Bundesliga regular season finished last weekend. It was, of course, the first big league to come back after the coronavirus pause. And I think we're all a bit sceptical about whether it was a good idea to rush things back. Helga, how do you feel it all went in the end? Surprisingly well. I, I was very uh, worried about it as well at the beginning. Like, is it going to work? Are the players going to get infected? Uh, like, for the fans as well, I like, guess they're going to be a lot of people meeting to, to watch the games or even at the stadium. Um, in the end, um, they finished the season as planned, which is, I think, like the biggest mm. uh, like point of, of worry for the, for the clubs. Um, in the end, uh, we, we still have to kind of wait and see what happens, like in the, what I just said, like with the infections, like, of, of, like maybe if there's like a spike or something, because um, there were like fan fests going on, um, like 2,000 people in Dresden, uh, like basically saying goodbye to the second league and mm-hmm. like trying to support the team. Uh, there were like some fans meeting at the stadium at uh, Bremen, Union Berlin, Bielefeld, Stuttgart to, you know, celebrate as well. That, uh, yeah, so then we have to see what happens with that. Overall, I would say it was a success, even though um, there's some stuff like I would say, like Dresden being relegated, having to play nine games in 22 game, uh, days. That uh, is really a, like a pinch of salt. Also, I don't know if, if Düsseldorf probably wouldn't have, have uh, pro- Düsseldorf probably wouldn't have been uh, relegated mm. if not for the Corona break. So um, I think there was a discussion to be had about not having relegations during this season. But uh, like, yeah, overall, I think everybody's happy at least at the clubs and. Mm. Uh, yeah, no relegations. Perhaps you would say that as a Werder Bremen fan. We'll uh, we'll come on to that in a moment. <laughs> um, Bayern Munich, of course, won the league comfortably. Assuming they're the happiest team in Germany, Tony, who do you think should be the second most satisfied club at the end of the season? Um, I would say it's Gladbach mm. because they finished uh, finished fourth and uh, will play Champions League next season. So that's a great achievement, and it's uh, totally deserved. They played a great season. They have a great team with. Uh, players like Tyram, Plea, Mbolo. Um, we'll see who stays um, and will play in Gladbach next uh, season too. But yeah, they played a great season. Marco Rose as a coach did a great job. Um, so they um, probably are very happy. And on the other side of the table, also um, Union Berlin is uh, pretty happy, I guess, because um, yeah, they didn't uh, everybody was thinking they well they will play one year in Bundesliga and then go back to second but they achieved to stay in the league and with less effort than expected I guess so they are 
a very happy team too, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Which club do you think are the most disappointing season, Helga? Hertha, maybe? No. I, Hertha was, um, <laughs> I mean, with the investments that they made, but I think they kind of turned it around with Labadia. So like they, they saved what would have been probably one of their worst seasons in, in, in history because with like, the Klinsmann debacle and everything, yeah. I think I would go with Schalke and Werder Bremen. <laughs> Schalke, no, Schalke has ambitions to to you know play international football all the time to at least Europa League uh, they have finished a very um, disappointing 12th spot and have not won a game in the last 16 games um, they are also riddled with injuries which is like a main problem for them they and Bremen have the most injuries uh, of the of the league close to 70 days per player on average um, so they, yeah, each player almost missed two and a half months of, of football this year, which is which is crazy if you think about it. But yeah, Schalke has like the momentum is, is looking downward. The coach is really and and uh, being heavily criticized for also like trying to play very defensively when it wasn't when it wasn't uh, like they had nothing to lose anymore. They they still just play to not uh, concede many goals, even like against teams like Düsseldorf who got relegated. Bremen, obviously, um, starting with the ambition to go to Europe, but ending up now in the relegation playoffs. Um, but I think we're going to talk about that a little bit more <laughs> later on. Sure. Um, so, yeah, like those, those two teams are um, probably the ones least happy with their season. Yeah. Tony, you're an Eintracht Frankfurt fan. They yes. uh, finished the season in mid-table in the end. Was that disappointing or was it about right considering the players they lost last summer and all that sort of stuff? Uh, no, I wasn't disappointed. It was totally okay in the end. There were weeks where I was disappointed. <laughs> um, but yeah, they kind of managed to, as you said, they are ninth now. So yeah, stable middle of the table. Mm. That's totally okay. They won't play Europa League next season, but that's can be a chance too to focus on uh, the league and everything. And yeah, as you said, they lost pretty important players, but um, the new ones needed some time to to um, yeah get used to everything. And now, uh, for example, Andre Silva in the last um, games after the Corona break was. Out, outstanding he he uh developed great and i think this is there are a lot of chances for the next season so i'm not disappointed <laughs> it's totally okay good it also could also be a good good year next year after playing the europa league twice in a row getting far and yeah the, and the games there and like just being tired all, all around yeah yeah Chances right and they made it season. to the semi-finals of the dfb cup again so that's a Big achievement as well. Yeah. Let's talk about the final day now. There were some pretty mad results there. We'll start with your beloved Werder Bremen, Helga, <laughs> who were threatened with automatic relegation and then beat Cologne 6-1. Where yeah. did that come from? No idea. No, <laughs> <laughs> no actually, I, I, um, I figured if we would have beaten Mainz the, the match day before that um, we would have had a good chance to, to stay in. But um, Düsseldorf bottled it there against, well, not bottled, but like only tied against Augsburg. But we bottled it completely, like against Mainz. We like Bremen lost three zero, and then I was no, they're not gonna, we're not gonna stay in. Uh, didn't even watch the game on TV. I watched it on a small smartphone, like on um, 
on the temple of felt because i was just like oh, we're gonna lose it either way <laughs> so, just gonna like have it like there and like maybe maybe some chance of, of like, seeing the goals but then in the end i was glued to my tiny tiny screen because <laughs> bremen was up like 3-0 after uh, after 30 minutes um cologne was just they were already in the, in the summer break and then the goals came at the exact right uh moments for for bremen to to gain the momentum but i understand everybody who is disappointed in the in cologne like especially from the Düsseldorf um fans that cologne did not put a performance that that was needed to at least like they simulate to be a bundesliga team anymore um <laughs> and then Düsseldorf, i think they they just crumbled under the pressure a little bit because yeah union didn't have anything to play for anymore but then they could just play freely kind of like to to win it 3-0 and yeah uh, kind of like a wonder that we, that we managed to to get there yeah i feel a bit sad for dusseldorf because uh uwe rosler their coach is a childhood hero of mine as a <laughs> ex-manchester city striker so i was happy for you but a little bit a little bit sad as well <laughs> Man, um, i understand it also because dusseldorf had quite a decent run of games where they at least performed well but they just didn't manage to to get the points like they they didn't win any of the last six games but they they were close to win uh, or at least get a point or win against uh, Dortmund they mm. they just didn't manage to to yeah, sag those three points that they needed to to actually stay in. So they're down along with Paderborn. Bremen will enter mm-hmm. the relegation playoffs. Um, who are they playing? When's that going to happen? Could you perhaps explain that to people who aren't familiar with this this thing they do in the Bundesliga at the end of the season? Yeah, so the, this uh, third last of the Bundesliga is playing the third of the second league, which is uh, Heidenheim at the moment. Very small club, or like from a, a club from a very small town, better. Um, they managed to get past Hamburg, <laughs> which is like, <laughs> which is quite the big achievement comparing what they spend on money. Um, it's kind of like one of those fairy tale stories, I guess. They like were the uh, coach take, took over the club uh, in 2007 in the fifth league, led them now like over the years to the to the second league. They kind of stabilized there, and now they played the best season uh, of their history netting them 55 points and uh, yeah they managed to get to the relegation which is also to say that they are probably very happy to be there as well you know they they didn't think they would get uh, like anything uh, have anything to do with the promotion but yeah like they, they get this chance now which is which is great for them mm. so when is that sorry oh well, it's on the uh this thursday it's the second and then mm. on the monday the sixth yes mm. So it was uh, coming up from the second division was Armenia Bielefeld and Stuttgart. Uh, as you mentioned, poor old Hamburg are going to be stuck down there for another season. Tony, could you explain what the hell happened to them against Sandhausen on the final day of the season there? <laughs> I wish I could explain that. I have no idea. I was watching the game and yeah, literally couldn't believe what I was what I saw because that was like such an important game and uh, you as a as a fan or um, as someone who watches the game is expecting like 11 players who put everything in it and um, it didn't seem it didn't seem like it so um, they were behind pretty early but so was Heidenheim so it was uh, clear that um, a tie would be totally okay for Hamburg and they would um, be third but yeah <laughs> they didn't even come close to a tie yeah. so 5-1 um, was it in the end? Uh, 
six no yeah, five, five one five one, five one, one yes yeah, yeah. yeah and it's i don't want to be disres disrespectful but it's Sandhausen. it's not the the strongest opponent of the second league yeah. i have no idea what happened there so they finished 10th they finished like you know they should have been on the beach really shouldn't they for the for the summer <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, at the other end of the of the bundesliga uh, bayern will be joined in next season's champions league by dortmund leipzig and gladbach while leverkusen hoffenheim and wolfsburg are into the europa league uh, Helga, again, what happened to Dortmund on the, the final day of the season against Hoffenheim? <laughs> they were at the beach. They, yes. they, 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 they just, the last four games, they only kind of pulled it together against Leipzig. The rest was already struggling against uh, Düsseldorf, I think it was, in the fourth last match day. Just barely scraping by with a 1-0 in the last minute. And now then they lost against Mainz with a like abysmal performance. And then, yeah, against Hoffenheim, they they were yeah done with the season already. Like there's no chance of being being first, no chance of losing the second spot. So yeah, they they were done. Yeah, four Kramaric goals from being... Kramaric. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A no look, a no look penalty. Yes, don't see that often, do you? No, no. <laughs> but, I, but if you're three zero up, yeah. I guess you can. And it was it, was it four goals in fifty minutes he got or something like that as well? It was uh, insane. Uh, eighth minute and then fiftieth. Yeah, so forty-two minutes. Yeah, not bad at all. <laughs> so Dortmund had said before the game that they're going to stick with Lucien Favre next season. Do you think that's a good idea, Tony? After the, the season they've had? Um, yes, I think so. I'm a I'm a fan of Favre, and I think uh, he's doing a good job. He he's it's a kind of a difficult team he has to coach um, because there's so much potential, but there are games where i don't know they could lose against uh Sandhausen too <laughs> i don't know what they're doing but i think Favre is a good coach and he what i like about him is that he i have the feeling that he's really trying to improve his work too not only the team but himself too um yeah he he wasn't the biggest motivator and didn't show a lot of emotions uh, but that's something people were saying it's a is a problem about Fabre, and I feel like he's really trying to to work uh, on that. So that's something I like. And um, I mean, this season he he I think Dortmund made a goal record, uh, so that's not not nothing bad. Um, he just has to win the important games finally. So <laughs> that's the biggest problem. If he does that. Um, or if he doesn't do that, um, he probably won't make it through the next season. But I think um, it's a good decision for now, but he has to show something. <laughs> it was announced yesterday that they, they're expecting 45 million euros in losses this summer. Do you think that might mean they'll have to part with some good players like Jaden Sancho, perhaps? Maybe, yeah. I mean, uh, I think uh, Manchester United is interested, right? Mm, yeah. Um, yeah, we'll see. I think... Um, of course, Sancho is a great player, but um, they uh, um, will will be will have a lot of other options. So if that's a, a um, possibility to get the money in and do something with the money, I think they can replace Sancho in a way. Mm. Speaking of transfers, there's going to be two transfer windows in Germany this summer. Is that right, Helga? <laughs> yeah, technically it's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's there's a one day transfer window. Oh. At the first of July, kind of to to get all the transfers done that have already been agreed to. You know, like the uh, as an example, uh, Nübel 
leaving uh, Schalke as a goalkeeper, going mm-hmm. to Bayern, so that he can already like sign his new contract. But it's only going to be valid for next season, so for the um, 2020-2021, so that yeah, he's not allowed to to play in the um, in the current season, which would be like the Champions League, for example. So they, there's like one of those transfer windows where it's like. Um, Bremen, for example, is going to get a player back from Hamburg who was on loan there, Martin Hanek, but he's not going to be allowed to play in the relegation playoffs, for example, you know, because right. it's only valid for the next season. And then the 15th of July, there is already the um, transfer window for. So when is the new season scheduled to start? That's not completely completely done yet. Okay. Um, the The thinking is that it's going to be earliest on the 11th of September um, that weekend or um, more likely actually the 18th of okay. September. Okay. So yeah, so the, the project restart works quite well in the Bundesliga then if that's the case, <laughs> it, I guess. <laughs> uh, we've had a question from Jeremy Goldstein on Twitter that I'll put to you, Tony. He says, I think everyone could agree losing Timo Werner is going to be a huge blow for Leipzig. For them to solidify themselves as Germany's second best team, who are possible replacements? Do they continue with Schick and Poulsen? How about signing Tammy Abraham? They like English players. <laughs> uh, I don't think signing uh, Tammy Abraham is a realistic option. No. But, um, you know, I think Schicken Pausen, Pausen could be uh, an option for Leipzig, but I don't think that they trust in only those two to replace Werner. I think they're good players, but I think they, yeah, they just want to be more uh, sure about uh, the replacement. Um, Rashica was a topic, I guess, during the last weeks from, from Bremen, mm. but um, uh, in the last days, uh, it seems to get more realistic that he Chen Wang from, from Erbe Salzburg oh, right, uh, right. will join Leipzig. So, yeah, this this would make totally sense because, you know, like Red Bull to Red Bull, it mm. uh, wouldn't be very surprising. He's a good striker. He knows Germany because um, he played for Hamburg before. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a pretty realistic transfer, which um, would totally make sense for Leipzig. Mm. Um, we've still got the DFB Pokal final to come this Saturday uh, Leverkusen are taking on Bayern do you think Leverkusen have a chance in this one at all Helga? Uh, an outsider's chance yeah mm. I mean they, they were only fifth in the in the league but they actually managed to get 63 points I think if I remember correctly it's like the the highest amount of points a fifth place team actually ever got or like mm. they got in their, like, to not finish in the Champions League Um the thing is that Leverkusen is they they have the least amount of goals of the top five teams. They have the most goals against them, which is of course like they're fifth. But you know um, Leipzig, for example, has a better goal difference, slightly better goal difference than Dortmund. But they yeah they are a very decent team. They they could beat Bayern in, in one game definitely. But looking at at what Flick has done, they have forty nine out of fifty one points. I think it was in the. In the second half of the season, only tied one game. They they have been unbeaten for for months now, so um, it is going to be very tough. And they yeah, Bayern is the clear favorite, but of course Leverkusen is, is a very decent, very decent team, and maybe in one game could could upset. Is this going to be farewell to Kai Havertz? Do you think? <laughs> that's a that's a difficult one, because um, because. I think he he wants to leave. It's a matter of if anybody has the amount of money that Leverkusen wants right now, especially with the Corona times. 
Um, so that that will be the question, and then it's quite open where he might go. I think uh, I don't. I'm not sure if he has decided yet. Like there's like Real Madrid being being rumored, Bayern Munich being rumored. Um, even yeah. So it's it's difficult to say what what's going to happen with him because also like the yeah the times have changed with when it comes to money if if anybody can afford him. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's finish with a score prediction from you both for the final. Then Tony, you can go first. <laughs> um, well, I don't think that Leverkusen has a big of a chance, so it's going to be 4-1 for Bayern. Helga, give Leverkusen <laughs> some hope. Come on. I can't, no. <laughs> no, I, I go with a 2-0 Bayern, like a, a nice, clean victory. We're now going to talk about Serie A. So hello to podcast legend Francesco Porzio. <laughs> Ciao. Hello. And to another podcast debutante in Davide Zanelli. Thank you very much. Hello, everyone. <laughs> uh, all right, guys. First things first, I want to ask for the Juventus perspective on this swap deal with Barcelona involving Arthur and uh, Miralem Pjanic. Fra, can you explain what's happened there for us, please? I think for Juve is an amazing deal at the end because they are they needed a change in the midfield. Uh, we were saying that in the last month, and Juventus needed a change because of the uh, average age of the old midfielders. So I think Arthur is the is a was a perfect uh, um, deal for for Juventus. Of course, Pjanic brought a lot to Juve in the last year, so he'll, uh, it's not going to be easy to replace him. But I think there was a change that was needed from a Juventus perspective. And honestly, uh, a deal like that, so basically 10 million plus uh, Pjanic to have Arthur, I think is an amazing deal for them. Uh, Juve Sport Director always said in the last weeks that he sees a, a transfer market evolving in this way with these swap deals uh, more and more coming in the, next, in the next month because of the crisis, because of many factors. So I think it's a, it's a great deal. I don't think it's a great deal for Barcelona, but that's another thing. You're asking me about Juventus' perspective. So yes. I'm just going to say that it's an amazing deal for them. <laughs> you agree with that, David? What sort of fee are we talking here? It's a bit confusing, isn't it, the, the, the figures involved? Yeah. Um, actually, it's, it's kind of easy to see uh, what Juventus can get with, um, with Arthur because uh, we saw what, uh, what Pjanic can give to, to, Sarri's, uh, to Sarri Ball. Mm. As, as they say, uh, it's it's like uh, Pjanic has a limit; he cannot go further that limit. Uh, so maybe Arthur can improve. He can you can use more uh, Bentancur in a in a different position. And in the first games of uh, the new mini season, we saw uh, Bentancur can give much more, also in different positions. Uh, I don't know from from Barcelona perspective, as uh, as Fra was saying. Uh, Maybe Pjanic can give you something in the first uh, first two seasons, but he's already a bit older, so I don't know. I have my doubts about uh, Pjanic in Barcelona. Mm. Well, Juventus won against Genoa on Tuesday evening. That leaves them four points clear of Lazio with nine games of the season to go. Do you think they can still be caught, Fra? <sighs> Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> that was a big sigh. <laughs> uh, nothing's really changing. I mean... Juventus, uh, Juventus seems that now they are they are they are back in the in a position where if they want they win easily. Uh, Lazio, they are they are actually uh, winning a lot of games, a lot of difficult games because they are, uh, for example, the one against Fiorentina last week, uh, also the one of yesterday they were losing. So I mean they are they are trying, but 
seems really there will be a, the, the the Juventus Lazio in two weeks. So there we we're mm. gonna know what's gonna happen. And um, just one thing about one more thing about Pjanic deal that we you were asking about the financial perspective, mm. and uh, I think we we need to remember that all this swap is mainly about the financial perspective of the two clubs. So the two clubs were in difficult position from a financial perspective. So they needed to make this kind of swap. And that's also why the figures are really high because it's 60 millions for, um, for, for Pjanic and 70 for, for, for Arthur. Probably numbers that we were never going to see without this kind of swap deals in this kind of crisis and transfer market. Mm. So that, that was just a bit of... <laughs> And for to end uh, the the pianist thing. Yeah, thanks for that. Well, uh, also speaking of Juve, it's now been confirmed that Andrea Pirlo is going to be the coach of the under twenty three team. Do you think he's going to be a good coach, Davide? Uh, I I have a doubt uh, that it, it depends on the the level of uh, obsession uh, that Pirlo will have as a coach. Because mm. everybody knows Pirlo as like a, a kind of guy that likes to enjoy life, uh, play golf, uh, drink wine. Uh, <laughs> Don't we all? Living his life actually. <laughs> now, uh, like in the last two years, he wanted to try new experiences. So he worked uh, in Sky, like couple days, a uh, couple days per week. Uh, now he wanted to try the like the coach career. He got the the license uh, two years ago, so he waited two years to understand which was the best way uh, to start. He's starting in Juventus with uh, his best friend uh, as a as assistant because uh, it's uh, Roberto Baronia who mm. grew up with him, actually here in Brescia. Um, of course, I think uh, <laughs> if uh, yeah. if Pirlo has this this kind of fire, I don't know, like uh, Guardiola going to study La Volpe in Mexico to to understand how is the how you can build uh, starting from the defenders. Uh, this kind of obsession, I think Pirlo, of course, is a genius. He's another kind of in football intelligence. So it could be the next big thing uh, as a coach. Uh, otherwise, uh, I don't know. It's not that easy to start from like from Serie C uh, this way. But mm. there is a great potential, of course. Yeah, and on the subject of, of coaches, Max Allegri's Juve contract has now officially expired. That means he's free to talk to other clubs. I didn't realise he wasn't free to talk to other clubs until I read this the other day, to be honest. But um, where do you think he might go next, Fra? Okay, Allegri's dreams was always to, to coach a big club in the Premier League. Uh, that was always his idea. He studied English since, uh, since basically when, when, he, when, he, when he left Juve. So his idea in, in his mind was to coach a big Premier League club. Honestly, I mean, you know better than me this. There are no many big clubs in Premier League who are willing to change a manager this summer. Mm. doesn't look like to me. I'll give you and, one name. I'll give you yeah. one name. Newcastle United. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, it might be. Maybe. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. But honestly, I think now he's realizing that... You know, Manchester United, Chelsea, uh, even Man City or Tottenham, they're not willing, Arsenal, they're not willing to, to change the manager right now. So he's probably thinking about other options. Uh, but there are not many big clubs who are changing some. So the last one, the last team who, who tried to, to have a contact with him was Borussia Dortmund. And, um, but honestly, I don't see Borussia Dortmund being the perfect team for him. I mean... Uh, I, when I think about Allegri, I think about very solid defense, uh, very solid, you know, tactical uh, um, 
ideas uh, and you know Borussia Dortmund is not a team like that it's a team of fantasy it's a team of uh, you know attacking uh, um, wings and all of that and doesn't look to me it doesn't look like a team that can fit in but we'll see. Uh, um, I think he, he will go. He wants to go to the Premier League. So if there is an opportunity, he will go there 100. percent mm-hmm. So what was the situation with his contract then? Because I just assumed that he was like having a, some time off this whole time. Was he literally not no, able no, to go anywhere else? Or no, his contract actually since last year he was uh, the, the the contract was expiring in 2020. Right. It wasn't expiring in 2019. Then Juventus and him together they decided reciprocally to you know end. Um, um, the, their you know work relationship before, but that doesn't seem doesn't doesn't uh, it's not doesn't mean that he 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 quit the contract doesn't mean that he just you know decided together to finish uh, working, but you know he stayed uh, in contract for one year, uh, earning good money and traveling around and uh, watching some good players for his future. You know? <laughs> Uh, we talked a few weeks ago about, about uh, Mario Balotelli's situation at Brescia. Davide, you've been in Brescia stalking Mario at the training ground recently. <laughs> what's what's the latest on his situation there? Well, I, actually, the the last news uh, happened yesterday, and it was Brescia um, telling him uh, in case of relegation he will be a free agent. Uh, it's nothing, not a big news actually, because we already knew that uh, Balotelli signed um, a three years contract last summer and um, there was this clause in, in the contract. Uh, so, in case of relegation, one of the two parts is, uh, is free to rescind the contract. And Brescia just told him, okay, uh, just to let you know, uh, in case we go to Serie B, and even if it's not. Um, they don't need to, to wait for the end of the season. So if Brescia loses the next two games, uh, and for example, Genoa or Udinese win the, the next two games, Brescia will be officially relegated, mm. I think. Uh, so Mario, Mario Balotelli will be a free agent. Uh, it's been a kind of crazy situation, but we could expect it uh, because um, uh, with the Balotelli plus uh, Cellino, I, I think uh, in England uh, people know a bit Cellino with yeah. uh, his experience at um, Leeds United. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a kind of a mess. Actually, I, I feel pretty lucky because I was uh, one of the few journalists uh, who Bar- Balotelli didn't insult in the last uh, three weeks. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I'm also a bit Don't sorry. Don't say that yet. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's, it's still, still waiting. For now, for now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I love that clip yeah. of, of you when you asked him if he was training and he just laughed at you. That was quite, that was really funny. Yeah, Tells yeah. Tells you everything. In the end, <laughs> I, I, know, I know he had uh, an offer from uh, Los Angeles Galaxy. Right. Which would be uh, a classic Raiola move, uh, already happened uh, before with Ibrahimovic. Uh, and could make sense for him. There was the that offer last summer from, from Flamengo, which is still interested in him, but I don't know how is the situation in Brazil, how, how much a, a club can spend uh, in the summer in Brazil, because uh, uh, I guess it's pretty difficult. And uh, I think he's really considering about Galaxy. He was telling some friends, uh, and 
I trust the I trust the news. Mm. He's got a bit of history with LA Galaxy as well. Do you remember the uh, the back heel when Mancini took him yeah. off in preseason yeah. that time? So yeah. yeah, back to his old uh, back to the the scene of the crime, if you were. Yeah. <laughs> uh, another Brescia player who will almost certainly be on the move this summer is Sandro Tonali. Uh, Fra, how good is he? Is he the new Andrea Perlo, as people are saying? And who <laughs> who is interested in signing him? Talking about Tonali, David is the perfect one. So I, I leave the comparison with Pirlo. I don't think they, they they are they are similar, if not just by the look. But I will let David talk about it. I'm just gonna say about transfer that he's the next uh, target for Inter. So Inter will go 100% for him uh, after Akimi that uh, will be official in the next hours uh, plus. Um, hours, days, uh, Tonali will be the next target for Antonio Conte midfield. So Inter will have a full, basically, potential uh, midfield of Italians with Barella, with Sensi, with uh, so Tonali. So that's the idea of Conte, that he wants to uh, build that kind of structure. But I leave the comparison to Davide. Yeah, go on, Davide. Because I heard uh, Perlo actually said himself that... Um, he's better. He thinks, yeah, he, he said uh, yeah. Tonali is more complete than him already or something like that. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, it's kind of strange to say, but it's true. Uh, of course, Tonali, uh, Pirlo was uh, a genius uh, on like creating the game, building the game. And Tonali will... I, I don't think there will be many midfielders better than him uh, by this point of view. From others' point of view, like uh, Tonali is more is more defensive. Uh, probably he's more ready than Pirlo when Pirlo started his, his career because Pirlo has been like traveling a lot, uh, like from Brescia to Regina to Inter. Uh, he he had to to wait sometimes to find his uh, his position on the field, which actually he, he found in, in Brescia and in Baggio days. Uh, Tonali is kind of similar to Pirlo for me only by the leadership point of view. He's like the silent guy who speaks with the, with the, uh, with the foot, like uh, with, mm. his, uh, with his approach to the game. He doesn't need to, to scream on the, on the pitch, he doesn't need to, to scream to his teammates. They can understand the way he, he plays. Uh, and he's he's a bond leader. Uh, this is the most uh, impressive thing, the, the most uh, similar thing to with Pirlo. Then uh, this this is the only way we can do a comparison. Mm. And he's still, he's really young, isn't he? How old is he? 21? Twenty one. Twenty. Twenty. Right. Even younger. Yeah. <laughs> So Inter next uh, next summer, we'll see. Yeah, this summer, should I say? <laughs> um, so so Fra, tell me about Milan. What's going on with with Zlatan Ibrahimovic there? What's going on with Milan in general? There's been talk for a while that they're getting uh, former Leipzig coach Ralph Rangnick as their new manager. Is that still going to happen? Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely, he will be the new manager next season. Manager and also uh, sport director. So he will cover two roles in the. Uh, in the in the team, so that's still happening. They, they didn't make it official because you know the, the season is still going on. There is a Milan are fighting for the Europa League place, so they don't want to you know make it official before. It's mm -hmm. already a mess, Milan. So you know, make it even messier would be a disaster. But it's the you know it's the secret that everyone knows that he will be the next manager of Milan. So it's a, it's just a matter of time. Regarding Ibrahimovic, it's very simple. Um, he hasn't decided yet. <laughs> you know, when it's Ibrahimovic, uh, you can expect everything. Mm -hmm. uh, to me, you know, the, the arrival of uh, Ragnik uh, 
looks like Ibra won't stay at Milan because you know he wants to invest in young players. Uh, uh, even if he probably wouldn't mind to have Ibrahimovic one season, I'm talking about Ragnik, but you know. Um, when when Ibrahimovic arrived in the winter, there was Boban, there was Maldini, there was Pioli. So a structure that really wanted him, they really thought that Ibrahimovic was still the guy who could help AC Milan to uh, to win a spot for the Champions League. Mm. Uh, that didn't happen. Boban was fired. Maldini will be the next one. Massara, who is the sport director, won't stay next season. Uh, so to me, the, the the same Ibrahimovic probably realizes that there is no place for him there anymore. So I think he will leave at the end of the season. Mm. Well, perhaps the biggest story in Italy this week is that Benevento have been promoted back to Serie A. They've got Pippo Inzaghi as their coach and they're targeting yeah. some pretty interesting names this summer. Could Ibrahimovic be going there, Davide? <laughs> no, but Luis Cremi can, can go there. So yeah. I think we're okay for the, for the whole year. Uh, they are talking about Schurle, they are, they are talking about Starridge, they've been talking about Glick, which actually Fraken uh, can say it better than me, but I think... Uh, Gleek is a real target. There are yeah. real possibilities that he can go back to Syria. And um, yeah, I think they are building a good team. Also, I know um, Inzaghi at the beginning of his career, uh, we, when he was coaching Milan and Bologna, people were saying he was not playing a great football. But in, in the last season, Benevento played really well. And I know uh, Inzaghi has been traveling um, through Italy, uh, meeting some coaches, uh, trying to improve himself, uh, trying to like, improve his, uh, his, his idea of football. And I think we are we're seeing the results. Uh, also, there is a big ambition in, uh, in Benevento. They already said that uh, the first, uh, first game next year uh, with, uh, with open doors, uh, it will be free for for the fans, uh, oh, so nice. they will give they will give uh, tickets for free. It's kind of amazing. They, yeah. they, are, they are creating a great atmosphere there. Yeah. Uh, they do, dominated Serie B. I think uh, if I can add something, uh, sure. we have to remember that Benevento was the worst team in Serie A two, two seasons ago. If you remember then, mm, yes. uh, they, they, uh, they scored the first point against AC Milan. By the way, it was the first game of Gattuso in charge of Milan. Uh, uh, with the goalkeeper scoring <laughs> in the last second That's of the right, game. That's right, yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we have to remember that they come from that background. So even that's why we are hearing a lot of these names, because they don't want to commit the same mistake that they did uh, in uh, in that season. Because um, then, they did, if you remember, they did an amazing uh, second part of the season. They, they had Sanya going to, to Benevento. Yes. But they didn't do it at the beginning. So they probably made that, that mistake. So now they want to build a team that it's, they are sure they can stay in Serie A next season, or at least fight to stay. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if um, every day we are going to hear a name like uh, Remy or Glick or, or even Ibrahimovic or bigger names. Uh, Associated with Benevento because they have an, um, they have a, a lot of ideas and they want to build a very strong team. So mm. uh, a lot of Premier League legends, I think, will go to Benevento. Right. Yeah, that's right. I saw Bakary. Um, sorry, Loic Remy said that Bakary Sanyu had recommended the club to him or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. He loved that. He, he was speaking uh, Italian after one month. It was amazing. <laughs> he loved Benevento. You know, it's an amazing part of Italy. Uh, amazing weather, amazing food. So I wouldn't be surprised. Remy, regarding Remy, uh, I don't know if he will go to Benevento. We're going to see in the next hours because his uh, physical conditions are not ideal, mm. let's say. Uh, finally, Fra, you were in Milan to cover Akraf Hakimi's arrival at Inter yesterday. Uh, that feels yeah. like a really good signing to me. Are you excited about it? 
I was completely shocked. I yeah. was talking with David the other day when the news came out. I was completely shocked because Hakimi, you know, I was completely sure he was going back to Real Madrid. Mm. I mean, he, to me, he's the most promising uh, right back uh, with, of course, Alexander Arnold, but he's not a promising anymore. He's, he's already a, a fact. Mm. But he, Hakimi is, uh, I think, is the next big thing. And, you know, Real Madrid let him go like that for 40 million, which is, you know, in this market, it's a lot of money. But with the, with the numbers that we see around, it's not a lot. And uh, I was really, really surprised. I think it's perfect for Antonio Conte. His way of playing the 3-5-2, you know, is uh, amazing. And uh, I, really, I really hope Lautaro stays because uh, that will be an amazing uh, duo. Uh, uh, Akimi crossing, Lautaro scoring. I can see that a lot. Okay, for the third part of the show, we're talking Spanish football, and I'm joined by Manu Dominguez. Hi, everyone. And Hayone Belza. Hi. Buenos dias to you both. Buenos uh, dias. <laughs> I asked the Italian guys what they made of the Arthur Pjanic swap deal from Juventus' perspective. Uh, Manu, what do you make of it from Barcelona's perspective, and why have they done this now? Uh, actually, I think that doesn't have anything to do with football. I mean, it's, it's about economics. Uh, Barcelona did just try to make... To balance the book before the thir- the 13th of June because they have to present to their to their fans and actually they decide to do that because Arthur has a good market probably probably in Italy but in general in Europe because he's 23 years old and at the end if we are talking about football I don't know what Hayek thinks about it but finally sweeping a guy who is 29 years old for a guy who is 23 years old I don't think so is positive for the club mm. but they just did the same before last year with Thielsen and Neto. They just wanted to present better numbers before the 30th of June. And it, that was the way, just to, to sell Arthur right now for 80, 80 millions. And then the numbers for buying Pjanic, they are going to be in the next in the next season, in the next in the, the, the books of the next year. And we will see. At the end, the field is going is to speak. If Pjanic does it well in, in Spain, nobody's going to remember that. But, I mean, I'm quite sad for the Barcelona decision because as Barcelona fan, I don't think so. It's, it's a good movement. Mm. Yeah, I mean, he's a good player, Pjanic, but um, it doesn't really, you know, strike you as a, a really well-run club, Barcelona, at the moment. How do you rate Arthur's time at Barca, Hayo? Um, I mean, he was being compared to Xavi last season and now he's gone. It's a, it's a bit of a shame, isn't it, really? Yeah, I couldn't agree more with uh, Manu. I think it's a preposterous deal and it has nothing to do with football. And this is what where it hurts, right? I mean, we're talking about the MVP of the Libertadores final in 2017. Arthur was inconsistent, but I don't think it was because of what happened on the field, but because of what happened outside the field. You know what I mean? Um, he was playing 4-3-3 in the middle with Busquets and Rakitic, and he had the best time there. I mean, the, the game he had against Tottenham in the Champions League um, was beautiful. Yeah. It was the most beautiful football we've seen from Arthur at Barcelona, but I just think he didn't have the chance to demonstrate what he was worth, right? After that game, Valverde gave him like 10 games in a row, but after it just disappeared. And it's funny to think that he's been compared to Xavi, which is really, um, it's just too harsh to give someone that name before they've had the chance to prove themselves within Barcelona. Because with Xavi, if we remember, Rijkaard didn't like him. He, he didn't trust him. He had to wait for Luis Aragonés in Spain and Pep Guardiola in Barca that gave him that liberty and ability to interpret the game under his terms so we didn't give him uh, Arthur that chance and I think it just 
Setien only played him at home, so he needed minutes, and we didn't. They didn't give him that right, that confidence, that continuity. So it's a real, real shame. Barcelona aren't in a good way generally at the moment. There's been talk that the players aren't happy playing for Kike Setien, that that Lionel Messi has fallen out with Setien's assistant Edis Sarabia. What's going on there, Manu? Ooh, that's that's a big question, Dan. That's <laughs> all of the Barcelona fans. They are they are asking themselves what is happening here. It's Setien guilty. It's something about the the president. It's the, is the, is the players. Actually, I don't know, but what is obvious is like we have in Barcelona in the dressing room players that they have too much power. When we are, you are talking about guys like Luis Suarez, Arturo Vidal, Lionel Messi, Piqué, players that they have won everything already, it's really complicated that a coach. Uh, can manage them if, they, if there is not a feeling there. And actually, it's, I think that's it's what happened. What is happening now in Barcelona? They they didn't want that that Valverde was was sacked in January. They wanted to stay with 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 Ernesto Valverde. Actually, the media says that president uh, says says say to the players that Xavi was going to be the next coach. At the end, it was not Xavi. It was Kike Setien. They were not happy with him. They are not happy with Sarabia. And finally, the only the only thing that it's real and everyone can see is that Barcelona looks looks really bad, not only in the short term but also in the middle and long term because it's a really old old squad. And finally, the relationship between the coach, between the players, even between the players with with Bartomeu, the president, it seems that it's quite quite bad. Yeah. Mm, I mean, I have to say, I, I thought that the Setien appointment was a bit of a weird one at the time, and I've, I've been proved right so far. I think. Um, Hayo, do you think he's still going to be there next season? If not, who might be coming in? Xavi, maybe. Could that happen? Um, so it is. Um, he's not going to continue. There is no chance Setien can continue. But because of everything we've seen outside the pitch, I mean that picture of uh, during Atletico's game where every uh, during the break. Everyone is huddled up uh, with Simeone and Barca is just is just a very uh, metaphorical image of what's happening right now with Barcelona. And I think that Bartomeu as a president, let's remember that he only has one term left. So in June 2021, there are going to be elections. And I think that Xavi is his last bullet to prove that he has something. And it's, um, it's an appointment that is going to uh, go really well with uh, the expectator, you know, the fans. Mm. So the fans want Xavi to be there. As Manu said, he was already called and they were, they told already the players that, you know, he was going to be the next uh, um, coach and that didn't happen. So I don't think uh, the other rumor was Pep Guardiola, which I really don't think he's going to come. He said himself his term at Barcelona was over. So I think that the problem is that Xavi and Pep Guardiola are not going to be coming to Barcelona while Bartomeu is president. So the other rumor that was going around was uh, Ronald Koeman which could be happening next year for a season because you know the Euro Cup didn't happen obviously um, he's not with a, he's not coaching the the Dutch team so maybe there is that one year chance to recover and it's a player that obviously knows well the the team and how they play mm. I mean, that would be an interesting one. I'd be sceptical about that one too, to be honest. But, uh, you know, he's a club legend, isn't he? So you never know. Uh, Barca drew 2-2 with Atletico Madrid on Tuesday. Lionel Messi scored his 700th goal for club and country with a delightful little Penenka penalty past Jan Oblek. Uh, here's a question for both of you. You can go first, Manny. What have been your favourite Messi goals so far? Well, I got this question for, for my uh, teammates in the new room uh, this week because we did a, a piece about the best Messi's goal and it's obviously a hard question because he has scored 700 goals <laughs> yeah. and all of them they are amazing. Not all of them, but almost 50%. But actually, uh, my decision was one goal against Zaragoza. I don't know if so many people can remember that. 
it was the season that Ibrahimovic was playing in Barcelona. It was 2009-2010, and it was incredible. That that match, Barcelona won 2-4 against Zaragoza. Messi scored a hat-trick, and one of the goals is incredible. I would recommend entirely everyone to, to, to look for that goal. He just got the ball from Andre Herrera in the in the midfield, and then just three like three or four guys, and at the end he just crossed the ball in the other angle. It's incredible, but I have to say that other goals, like for example the Copa del Rey final against Bilbao, or even the goal that they score against against Real Madrid in Champions League. Yeah, I don't know. Probably Hayo has has a different one because you know Messi has given has given us probably the best image in the last in the last century for Barcelona fans. Mm. Go on, Hayo. Absolutely. So uh, that goal against Zaragoza, absolutely. But uh, I'm gonna pick one that you actually mentioned, and it's the Copa del Rey final 2015 against Athletic Bilbao. Uh, it was the season that Barca won the triplete, so Champions League, Liga and Copa del Rey. And that Copa del Rey final was very special because, first of all, um, it was in Camp Nou. It was a Basque team against a Catalan team in la Copa del Rey. So for Spanish and for myself, a Basque person, it was a really, really, um, it was a great final. And the goal he scored against um, against Athletic, then, it was absolutely stunning. He got the ball in the middle of the pitch and then just flew past five athletic players mm -hmm. and that they really tried to tackle him down like with rugby tackles and he just scored and the whole stadium which i was in the stadium at that game came down it was absolutely crazy and it was on one of those uh, goals that i find so beautiful that everyone in the stadium had to cheer on it was so beautiful <laughs> i think was it getafe the, the famous one the sort of Maradona yeah, that, one? yeah yeah I like he looks like maradona favorite. as well yeah, yeah exactly uh, well, Real Madrid won 1-0 over Getafe on Thursday. That means they're now four points clear at the top of La Liga. Do you think this title race is almost over, Manu? Yeah, I would say yes. I would say yes because we were talking before about Barcelona. Barcelona is a, in a bad situation. The calendar is not easy. They have to play uh, against Villarreal. It's being one of the best teams since, since, the, corona, since the, the corona crisis. And actually, Real Madrid is not playing well, but it, it's, it's unbeaten. They are not conceding goals. They are a really... They are a team that it seems like giving really security with Courtois on goal. And I don't think so that Real Madrid are going to drop so many points. And especially it's already four points over even the goal of a rush. I would say that La Liga is over. I don't think so that Barcelona has chances to, to, to get the first position before the end of the season. If Real Madrid are going to drop points, why do you think that might happen? Actually, I thought that the most difficult match that they have was against Getafe. I think that they have to play against Villarreal again. Mm. But it's in well, it's in Madrid, so I don't think so that there are so many chances that Real Madrid can drop points, and even there are so many teams that they are not playing for nothing because almost the relegation is over with two teams already uh, down. Maybe against against yeah Granada could be another option, but I don't really sure if they have so many other difficult matches. Mm. I want to talk about Karim Benzema, who's been in incredible form for Real Madrid recently. Hayo, do you think we underrate him somewhat, and then perhaps you know should he be in the running for the Ballon d'Or this season? Um, to be honest, I don't think he has been underrated, but he's Real Madrid's number nine. So people expect goals and loads of them. So I think it's been a lot of pressure on him. Obviously, Cristiano Ronaldo left. He had to fill that gap. And I do believe that he has been filling that gap um, beautifully in these last years. He said it himself that uh, he's a modern striker, though, so that he likes scoring goals, but he also needs to give assists and help the team out, but not only by scoring goals. Mm. So I think he's been there yesterday against Getafe. He was the one that uh, provoked, uh, gave, the, uh, gave the pass back. 
and he's been there in the most important games of the season for Real Madrid. He's given 17 goals, 8 assists. Um, he has become Real Madrid's fifth um, top goal scorer in the history. So I do think he's been there. Um, now that he's running, he's a constant, um, he can run for the Ballon d'Or. I do think so, but I don't think he has the name for it. We are talking about, you know, a brand marketing perspective. Grande that, Karim, that's the brand marketing for you right there. Absolutely. But <laughs> is he going to win it against Mbappé, against, you know, Messi's? Uh, ah, yeah. I don't know. All right, here's a question then. Who had the best assist, Benzema or Guti? Oh, beautiful question. <laughs> really hard. I'm going to go for Guti just because I think Guti was... Uh, hmm. It was more... In, in front of the goal, like Guti could have scored that goal, but he just gave it back and everyone was absolutely baffled. Yeah. <laughs> uh, another player in incredible form at the moment is Villarreal's Santi Cazorla. Manu, his comeback from injury is one of the most beautiful football stories ever told, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, who could expect in 2016 after after his injury, and especially in 2017 when people could see the image of his ankle that he was gonna come back. Uh, that he was gonna come back, but not only not only he came back with Villarreal. At the end, he's performing amazingly from already last year, this year, and and actually, actually. Players like Santi Cazorla or Jesus Navas or Joaquin, they are like really all guys that they are performing amazingly in La Liga. It shows you Jesus Navas how too. Jesus Navas too in Sevilla. He's doing oh. really well. And actually it shows you how good was that generation because they are three players that they were not playing the start 11 of this Spain that won Euro, World Cup and Euro in 2012. But still with 32, 33, 34, 35 years old, they are playing amazingly. And that seems that yeah, Spain had the best generation Ever that they are going to have possible in, in, in they are not going to be able to have in the in the next years, and and especially the the Cazorla issue with with how everything was gone in in London and now has came back in his in his first team in Villarreal. It's as you say, it's probably one of the most beautiful football stories mm. that it's happening in the last years. Yeah. So he nearly lost his foot basically, didn't he? His yeah. Yeah, I remember that when, when I remember in 2017 he got an interview with with Diario Marca, and he said that the doctor said said to him in 2016, if you are able to to walk with your child, you should be happy with that. Mm. And and then let us see what is he doing every weekend with yeah, with Villarreal yeah. t-shirt. <laughs> amazing, amazing. Uh, Valencia parted company with coach Albert Saladas this week. Where did it all go wrong for him there, Hayo? Um, I think it was an experiment that didn't work out. Um, Celares didn't have any experience at all with a football team. He um, um, he was the coach of Spain's U19 and U21, mm. but he had never coached before in a top flight league. So I think that's where went wrong with Albert Celares. Now with Valencia, we're speaking about a way deeper um, problem, and is that um, Peter Lim, the guy that bought the institution in 2014. He has been sacking coach after coach after coach. I mean, Valencia has gone in with has had seven coaches in five years wow. with Pizzi, Carineville, Ayestaran, Marcelino, and we have to think that Marcelino was sacked along with his uh, sporting director after winning the Copa del Rey final against Barca and classifying for the Champions League. So we clearly see that the problem is way deeper. Than, than something on the playing f uh, on the playing field. Mm. And speaking of yeah. things going wrong, go on, Manu, sorry. Yeah, actually, it was I don't know if you had the opportunity to see it. What the, the 
the Peter Lim doctor, she just posted in Instagram about the complaining from Valencia fans and she just spoke, people, they don't understand that we are the owners of the clubs and we can do whatever we, we want. Whatever so, we yeah, finally, when, 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 when something is it's able to post something like that and, you know, like, it's obvious, easy to see, like, the, the, the as Hayo as say, that the, the problem is not the coach, it's like they have owners and now in this with this globalization and it's happening in football that the people they are able to buy the clubs finally this this can happen it's owners that they don't really care about the fans they don't really care about the emotions and that's what we are seeing in Mestalla yeah mm. and speaking of things going wrong your team Real Sociedad Hayo were in contention for a Champions League place when the season restarted um, they seem to have messed it up though don't they well, if you really want to put that salt in the wound, I'm it's, sorry. It's really, really painful. Uh, Real Sociedad was playing beautiful football. Odegaard was the best player of the league at the beginning, and after Corona hit and we started the league again, Real Sociedad had one point of 15 possible before Espanol's game last night that they luckily won. So. Everyone is wondering what happened. Is it a lack of preparation during the you know mini preseason? It is a, the lack of minutes. But every other team had that. So what went wrong with uh, with Real? It's it's really difficult. Um, we have to say that the referee decisions have been really and obviously everyone can say that you know, mm. but it has <laughs> really been awful for Real Sociedad. Um, Janusak's disallowed goal against Real Madrid was absolutely appalling. Lenormand, um, you know, foul against Getafe. So it really is something that makes you watch La Liga and be like, God, why can't it be like the Premier League? It's it's really difficult to dissociate the game to the to the referee's decision, and it's very hard. But anyway, for La Real, injuries has been really hard as well. Guevara, Sangali, Yarramendi, Barrenechea, Odegaard now with something in his knee. There were no yeah, people is, in the stadiums. It's really crazy. Odegaard has gone, I mean, I was talking with my dad last night about it. Uh, it's just insane how he, something happened to him during the um, during this corona time that it just completely changed his mind, his way of playing. The spark is not there anymore. And it's true that he's been playing with a, a knee injury, but it's just that the spark is gone. And I everyone is just hoping that the season is over so that Real can start from scratch next season because it's been really painful to watch it. Mm. And finally, Manu, you're a Celta Vigo fan. Are they going to stay up after that 5-1 defeat to Mallorca on Tuesday? So the best, the best topic for the end. No, I have to say, I, I don't think so that you have the option to watch the match against Mallorca. I wouldn't recommend no one to watch a Celta Mallorca, I have to say the truth. But actually, Celta didn't play so bad. I mean, the first 25 minutes, Celta played amazingly. But as, as Diago Aspas said after the match, uh, Mallorca looked like Bayern Munich. They just had three chances. They scored three amazing goals. Celta had a couple of big chances and Manolo Reina did uh, did good saves. And, and even, you know, as Hayo was said, the referee was was awful. I mean, there was a penalty conceded to Mallorca that I guess Aspa said as well after the match that he wouldn't he wouldn't concede the penalty even if he was playing with his song. You know, it was it was something yeah uh, unbelievable. Uh, but they have to say that I'm confident. I'm confident because Celta played well. Celta is doing amazingly after after the after the break. And even if we if we if we drop three points against Mallorca, that finally is our competitor and they have like the they have the goal average. Uh, at the end, Mallorca had to play against Atletico. Had to play has to play against Sevilla, and it's five. Five, point, five points over, mm. 15 points to play. Celta has an important match tomorrow against Betis. 
and actually with with the sign of Nolito having Jago Aspas in a, in a, in a good shape, uh, Bradrich is doing incredible. What to say about Rafinha or Murillo? I think so that that Celta is gonna is gonna win tomorrow against Betis and the cost they are gonna be over and. Celta is going to be able to prepare the next season from the beginning with Oscar, who did it well since, since, since he started in, in, in January. And let us see. I'm looking forward to, to seeing Celta next season because I, I, think, I think that it's a real team that can fight for a position in, in the Europa places here. Yeah. We've reached the fourth and final part of the show where to talk all things Premier League. I'm joined by Lewis Ambrose. Hello. And Joel Sanderson-Burry. Hello. So, Manchester City beat Liverpool 5-0 on Thursday. And what I think we all agree <laughs> was the real quiz. And yes, you heard that right. The game finished 5-0. I don't care what anyone says. <laughs> uh, Joel, you're a Liverpool fan. I'll let you go first. What did you make of the game? Uh, a strange one, because obviously you go into it and it's kind of an old tense of purposes, a dead rubber. But I think it is something that both teams have got a lot to, to take from it, because... For one, for Man City, you go into that with, you know, after having two unbelievable seasons, you've lost the league and you've got everyone talking about how you need to have a rebuild. And not only that, you've then got to welcome the team who've just taken the league off you onto the pitch of Guard of Honor. You know, you can tell that's going to rile up a lot of their players and, and, and that is what we saw because they were brilliant. Uh, well, they were clinical anyway. The, the, the two goals after the penalty were, were absolutely stunning. Um, and I think that was that that gets that can get City's blood pumping for the next season because they've now got they've remembered how good they are. I guess if they needed that um, that reminder, they, they've seen that you know that that twenty point gap won't mean twenty points to Man City anymore. They know they can get going next season. From a Liverpool point of view, um, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm not sure. As if a lot of people said that they were on the lash for a week. I, mean, <laughs> I, I hope they were, because I certainly was. Um, but I don't think that was necessarily the case. I just think, you know, they played well for the first 20, 25 minutes and the penalty happens where Joe Gomez gives away about five penalties in one. Um, and I think I, I think for Liverpool, I, you've now got a point where they can they can get the record points total, but it's going to be very difficult to get. They need to win five out of the last six to get that. And they've still got Arsenal and Chelsea to come, but I think and looking at Klopp's reaction after the game, that would have that would have annoyed him. And I think now he's got a good, he's got a chance to get those players back on side and say, listen, you know, we can't be complacent. We've now seen how man, how good Man City are. If you needed that reminder as well, and we've got to get going again next season because they're going to come again. Yeah, Klopp was pissed, think, wasn't he? Yeah, go on, Lewis. That that was quite interesting to me. And seeing those interviews after the game, I actually maybe think this might have been the result that both managers wanted, or it would it would be good for both managers next time round because obviously Guardiola can go in the dressing room next time when you know it actually means something. The next time the two teams play each other yeah. and say, "Look, look how good we are. We know we can beat them. We ripped them apart last time." And Klopp can sort of use the the old underdog card that he, he does like to use and turn it a bit into, oh, let's show City how good we really are after what happened last time. So it's, I found that quite interesting after the game that it might actually, for the next time they play each other, it might actually be the perfect result for both sides. Mm. I completely, completely agree. And I, I think it's you've now got with, with... I mean, I said last week on the podcast, I think next season you will see a, a title challenge or a season 
kind of like last season where both teams are are, are on they've reached ninety plus points and and the two fixtures between both sides will probably determine the title. I still stand by that and I think last night has probably suggested that if you look at fixtures between City and Liverpool over the last couple of seasons, they either kind of play out where one team batters the other mm. or they're incredibly tight. It, it's it's unbelievable and Despite what my United and Chelsea are strengthening, I, st- I still think Man City and Liverpool are on for a, an unbelievable title challenge next season. Mm. Well, I was worried during the first 20 minutes of that game last night that it was going to be Liverpool who were going to dish out the hammer into City and it would be pretty embarrassing for us. And I actually tweeted at half time that Liverpool be, you know, with Liverpool being 3 0 down despite playing quite well at half time, now they know what it's like to play themselves at Anfield because that's like a similar pattern <laughs> that the, the City games usually take. You know, earlier this season when, when City went to Anfield, I thought City played quite well, you know, had that penalty shout and then Liverpool scored straight away. And I didn't think yeah. I, th- I thought the the sort of scoreline flattered Liverpool a little bit that day. So uh, so yeah, it was interesting. It was nice to to kind of uh, get our own back a little bit for that. And you know, it doesn't mean much in the grand scheme of things, but it does mean that Liverpool can't take City's Premier League record of sixteen away wins in a single season now. So you know, and that's the real quiz. That is the real <laughs> quiz. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, Lewis, I uh, just wanted to add one Alex more question. Alex, waking up as the champion. <laughs> sure, <laughs> uh, I, I understand that. Uh, Lewis, just just one more question on this. As a neutral, does does this mean Liverpool are frauds who are going to get found out next season, or should we not read, uh, read mate, too much into it? They're rubbish, aren't they? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think what we should read into it probably is that Man City are absolutely up for the FA Cup and the Champions League. Mm. That was maybe one thing from last night's game that you can talk about, is that City still have plenty to play for this season, and for Liverpool this season's to all intents and purposes, over um, obviously there's records to chase and that sort of thing but you play all season to win the league and they've got that in the bag now um, yeah I think that's if anything that's what I would take away from it but like Joel said and like you've just said about the the previous games between those clubs I think that's all we know we, it's, there's nothing new we know that both of these teams on any given day if the opposition misses, misses a chance or they could just absolutely tear apart anybody in the world and I think that's just what we saw again yeah, so Leroy Sané is officially a Bayern Munich player now. Do you agree with me when I say that in the context of his contract situation, his obvious desire to return to Germany, the long-term injuries coming back from and the fact we're still in the midst of a global pandemic, that €50 million Euros is actually quite a good deal from City's perspective, Lewis? When you put it like that, it sounds very good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think we'll see many €50 million Euro transfers this summer. Um, very few across all of Europe, no matter who the clubs are involved. And to think that he's not kicked a football, really, for a year. He's played. Has he played once for City since the, the game? He played 11 minutes return? against Burnley last week. Yeah, yeah, OK. So he's played uh, 11 minutes of football in the last 12 months. Um, you, can't, you can't say that's a bad deal at all. Um, mm. I think City will miss him. Uh, it was the perfect time to get a result like they got last night, I think, because obviously for... If not, the the questions probably would have surrounded are oh, what are they going to do? They're losing Sané as well. Obviously, there's so so much talent in this team that they can probably get by, sort of without Leroy Sané a little bit for a while. Um, they're probably going to have to sign some sort of replacement just for depth, if nothing else. But yeah, I I don't think this is a terrible deal. And like you say, yeah, one year left in his contract. There's there was no way that he was going to sign a new contract at City. That was obvious. So it's probably the best of a bad situation, I'd say. 
Joel, imagine you're cheeky Bagaristan for a second. You've got 50 million euros burning a hole in your pocket. Who do you spend it on? You know, I think Lewis alludes to it there a bit. I, I you know, I, I've been thinking about this, and I, I wonder, I wonder whether they will actually replace him this summer anyway. Um, because I, for one, I know the Jack Grealish links have been coming out over the past week. I mm. don't really see how that works. I don't think he really fits into. Well, I, maybe, maybe technically he does fit in, but it's just Phil Foden, but not as good. Well, well, this is it, and the, the phone comes <laughs> <laughs> comes into this. Is I know there's been you know Pepper said something or suggested that maybe Foden could be an attacker, and maybe he goes into the front three next season, and, and you know whether that's as depth to and replaces Sani's role in the squad. I also think Riyad Mahrez is a few games or a season away from really exploding. I think he's starting to really prove that he's, he's he could go into that world class level, and then. You got to think that maybe it's his time to to step up to the first team and play. You know he has been playing regularly, but maybe he becomes a main point of the team. But there's also a question of the centre forward, and I think that's maybe where mm. they spend the money this summer because, you know, Jesus. There's been rumours about him leaving, and he's maybe not taken off as good as you you, you would have hoped if you're a City fan. Mm. And then you you've got Aguero, and, and you know his injury. I don't know how bad that is. It's like talking about surgery, but. And then they talk about this season maybe being over, maybe getting back to the Champions League. But you know, he's 32 now, and how many more injuries can he take? So I actually think there might be something where City might do something with Aubameyang this summer. And mm. you know, I know you're looking at his age profile, but you know, there's contract talks on him, and I wonder whether they, you know, this could be a perfect moment where City do something like similar to Man United with Van Persie. I'm sorry, Lewis, that would bring Arsenal ah, right. to this, but. <laughs> You know, I wonder if that happens this summer instead. Well, that's a lovely think... segue. Into... Go on, Lewis. <laughs> I, I've, I'm going to ruin your segue completely. Um, <laughs> I, I just, I just wanted to say that um, that City are still the top goal scorers in the Premier League this season, and mm-hmm. Leroy Sané hasn't played a minute, or he's played yeah. eleven. Um, yeah. and, and so, maybe goals aren't the problem, especially like you say, Foden comes in and, and takes a bit more time. So, yeah, I don't think there's a guarantee that City will, will go big on any sort of replacement. Um, and I'm not entirely sure that it would be necessary. Uh, yeah, like I say, top goal scorers in the Premier League. Unlike the individual top goal scorer in the Premier League who plays for Arsenal. <laughs> well, what a great segue that was. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's been a, a very eventful week for Arsenal, as they pretty much always are. Uh, as, you, as you alluded to there on Wednesday, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang became the fastest Arsenal player to reach 50 goals. Did it in just 79 games. What do you think that says about him? And what do you think it says about Arsenal? Um, it says that he is quite good <laughs> because Arsenal have been rubbish since they signed Pyramid Aubameyang and the fact that he's managed to to score that many goals that quickly while the team has been poor. I mean, it's the poorest Arsenal team over the, over a sort of a two-year period. It's the worst Arsenal team for almost 25 years or about mm. 25 years. So, yeah, Thierry Henry's coming to Arsenal in that time. Des Burkamp. Ian Wright was an established goal scorer when Arsenal signed him already. Rowan Van Persie was obviously a bit younger when he signed. Adebayor. There's been plenty of prolific attacking players playing for Arsenal in the so-called Premier League era. For Aubameyang to hit that milestone quicker than all of them when Arsenal are pretty much a mid-table side or a, a side on the outskirts of Europa League football, I think that's just ridiculous, to be honest. Yeah. He alluded after the game, on uh, the, the Norwich game, that he's going to sign a new deal. Do you think that might happen? Uh, 
I am not particularly optimistic, if you want to say call it optimism. <laughs> um, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not sure. That, to be honest, I'm not sure Arsenal will be able to sell him this summer, to, which probably invokes a bigger problem if he's not going to sign a new contract and the club really need to get whatever they can for him and invest it into a squad that needs a lot of work. Um, especially for a 31-year-old striker. And, I mean, City probably can afford to, to take on, like Joel was saying, could, could afford to take on a striker who's going to get you 20 goals, 25 goals in a season mm. um, at that age. And then sort of, yeah, I mean, the, the team's built to win now. So if he gives you a good couple of years, you've got your money's worth. Arsenal giving an enormous contract to Aubameyang now might not be the best thing that for the for the club long term anyway. We've seen what happened to Özil, or what's happened with Özil, and now they're just sort of stuck with him for another year still on this contract when he's so clearly gone through a decline. Yeah, I, it's a really difficult situation. I think Arsenal might struggle to find a buyer. I don't see one out there. Mm. I don't see a club that needs a striker and, and that's going to spend much money not on a on a striker of his age. So it's going to be really interesting to see what Arsenal do. Maybe he will sign a deal in the end, but if he does, I suspect it will be because no one actually comes in for him. Well, one player who did sign the ting this week was uh, Bukayo Saka. Uh, I know you and, and our colleague Phil Costa were very excited about that. That's pretty massive for Arsenal, isn't it? Yeah, I know Joel was quite upset about it as well. <laughs> yeah, Saka had been linked to Liverpool. <laughs> um, that's huge. It's absolutely huge. I think there's nothing like... And you talked about Phil Foden already there. Liverpool have got Trent Alexander-Arnold. And there's nothing like watching a kid come through. And not just look ready, but look capable of becoming one of the stars of the team. Mm. And Saka looks exactly that at 18. And he's excelled in midfield. He's excelled at left wing back. He's excelled on the wing in the youth teams and in the Europa League at times this season. It is absolutely enormous. If Arsenal are going to get anywhere near the Champions League again, let alone the top of the league. They're going to have to attract good young talent. They're going to have to be able to be a club that builds talent up again and sort of finds bargains on the market. And how they would manage to do that if they can't even convince one of the own, their own academy stars to stay at the club. Um, yeah, you'd be scratching your head a little bit. So it's huge, really, really big. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, well, Chelsea's top four hopes were dealt a blow on Wednesday. I want to talk about West Ham, though, Joel. Uh, we slagged them off a little bit on last week's podcast. Do we owe David Moyes an apology? Yeah, well, let's not maybe speak too soon on that. <laughs> um, I mean, they might still go down. Um, I, I mean, I guess it's nice to see him happy or solemn for once rather than haunted. But, <laughs> you know, I'm, I mean, that game was wild. You know, they, they, West Ham probably did deserve to win, but they scored two very strange goals before of the third to beauty, beautiful counter-attack. Um, no, I mean, West Ham, I, I, this is not all David Moyes' fault, to be fair, but West Ham should be nowhere near the relegation zone with that squad and with that team. Um, the fact that the ER is, you know, it's Pellegrini's fault just as much as Moyes, I guess, but Moyes has come in and he's had enough games and enough time to turn that around and, you know, it's... It, 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 they might still they might stay up now, but I think that's more down to the fact that the teams below them, which is only three teams at this stage, are horrendous. Yeah. Don't, look, don't look like they can buy a draw never mind and win. Um, I'm not I'm not in the business of giving giving David Moyes an apology. I'll tell you that for right now. Um, <laughs> well, his win, his win ratio is up to twenty six percent since he went back to West Ham now. So 
Oh, give yeah. me like job again then, fantastic. <laughs> the thing that impressed me about West Ham the other night was the way they sort of kept going and, you know, they had a couple of setbacks um, and they just, they didn't let it affect them. The, you know, that dodgy VAR goal that they conceded. Yeah. It's, it's, um, a, it's the first time we've seen that kind of grit, for, definitely since the restart, but I think maybe under Moyes that we've seen. And West Ham are capable of it. The, the, the team is capable of, of producing results like that. Um it's it just you just wonder how why they keep making so many mistakes because especially up front if there's a thread on Twitter if you you know love it search or maybe we can put it out on the, on the one football accounts where they've gone through a West Ham fans gone through all the strikers they brought they brought under David Gordon and Sullivan and they spent so much money and just they just haven't got it right I don't think even once and I thought even when they bought Sebastian Allard that was that was going to be one. Where they finally really got it, you know, an up and coming striker. He's mm. done a few bits in a few years in Germany, and he looks really built for the Premier League. He has a very good debut, but I just don't understand how they keep making so many mistakes recruitment wise. Chelsea are sweating over top four now. Another team sweating over top four, Leicester, who've now gone four games without a win. What's happened to them, Joel? Is this the start of the Brendan Rodgers collapse? Do you witness firsthand at Liverpool? Oh, yeah, they were heavy days, I'll tell you that right now. Um, <laughs> are they going to get Ricky Lambert in? Bizarre <laughs> <laughs> Markovic on the wing. Okay, um, it's it's weird with Leicester. They've won three games in twenty twenty overall. Um, they've they've looked on a steady decline for some time now. Um, I, I think with Rodgers, I, I mean, I did say this last week. When when the momentum is really good, he's really good. As we've seen with with Liverpool nearly leading to the league title in thirteen fourteen, and of course, obviously Celtic going unbeaten for a whole season. But when he when it starts going wrong, he find he seems to find it really difficult to pull it back. Mm. And he kind of does his own head in now, you know, because when when that happened with Liverpool, he would change formation uh, a number of times. We we played Aston Villa in the FA Cup semi final where we lost two one. He changed the formation four times that day, and none, <laughs> not it didn't work once. Um, to be fair, on this occasion with Leicester, he doesn't seem to be doing that. It does seem to be sticking to it as it is and just send them back out. But you just got Vardy out of form, uh, or, or not hitting the form he was early in the season anyway. And you've just not got players work, you know, quite working as well as they were at the start of the season. And I, I actually think they're in serious trouble. I, I think they might just drop out of the top four or five. Because if you look at the form United are on, uh, Chelsea are inconsistent, but you think they've got enough to get over the line. And I think you should be really concerned about Wolves as well, because they, they look like some team. And you know they've not conceded since they got back, and obviously we'll see this weekend how you know where they are level wise when they come to play Arsenal. But I think Leicester are in serious trouble. Mm. Uh, just a quick word before we go in the FA Cup semi final draw with four of the biggest clubs in the country still in there. Does it suggest the old cups still got a bit of magic left in it, Lewis? Maybe. Um, I've written something sort of to the opposite effect this week. Yeah, you have actually. Um, haven't you? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. To to be published. On Saturday morning, yeah, I, I don't know. I think we've, we've seen it, haven't we, uh, over the last couple of decades that those, particularly those four clubs uh, and Liverpool, tend to almost always still win the FA Cup. Um, it's nice to have big games to look forward to, but I think it's also, as a as a fan of a club that goes to Wembley every year, pretty much, and you as well, Dan. I think it's also. I'm not upset we're going to Wembley. I'm very excited. I mm. hope we win. But yeah, you do think maybe 
it would be nice if West Ham and Everton and Newcastle and Villa were in more cup semi-finals and finals and those those fans don't don't have those moments. It sounds really patronising now. Um, but I think maybe yeah, the, the true magic of the cup is they, they would sort of appreciate those days out a little bit more than obviously nobody's going to Wembley this time around. Um, but Arsenal and City where it's sort of I mean, if you look behind the league and the, the European competitions and then qualifying for the Champions League for next season, it's sort of the third priority each season. Mm. Um, yeah, and I, I find that a bit... I, I like like last year, you see Watford and Wolves in that semi-final, they played a brilliant semi-final, and it really meant everything uh, for one of those teams to, to go on to the final and, and have a chance of still winning the cup at the end of it. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I, I don't know if it's sort of... A little bit the opposite to me, maybe. Mm. Joel, for you, do you wish Liverpool had perhaps tried a bit harder to, to win it this year and made it a league and cup double? Because you know they got knocked out by Chelsea, but you know Klopp, Klopp picked a bit of a weakened team that day. Do you think you know in the, under the circumstances it might have been better to go for it? Um, no, give me the Club World Cup over the FA Cup any day. I'm no, determined um... to piss on your parade, here, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I think this year with Liverpool beating Everton 1-0 at Anfield with, with a team of teenagers and reserves was, meant more than winning the FA Cup overall, <laughs> to be honest. Do, um, Joel, you do, you do realise that when City add the FA Cup to the League Cup and they go win the Champions League as well, then City have had a better season than Liverpool in your first title-winning season in 30 years? I mean, that, that's a subject to opinion. Um, <laughs> that, that, that is definitely not fact. <laughs> well, domestic troubles aren't for everyone, that's all I'd say. <laughs> Well, that's it for this bumper special edition of the One Football Podcast this week. Don't forget, if you want to get in touch with the show, the email address is podcast at onefootball.com or you can tweet us at onefootball. Big thanks to all my guests this week. Let me take a deep breath before I get into this. Thank you to Helga, Antonia, Francesco, Davide, Hayone, Manu, Lewis and Joel. And of course, thanks to everyone for listening. Uh, a bit of bad news to end with. I'm afraid there won't be a podcast next week as I'm on holiday, but we'll be back the week after next. So take care of yourselves and we'll see you then.